Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. I was noticing, you know, in spiritual life, hopefully we're all making a little progress, and when you make progress in spiritual life, sometimes challenges come. So I've never sat in the front row before and had two uh, very beautiful little girls coloring right next to me. So I'm hoping that I won't be more attracted to putting down the book and picking up a crayon during the class. <coughs> but I think they do a much better job than I would, so I'll, I'll try not to do that. I was going to read uh, a couple of verses from the first canto, the Srimad Bhagavatam. Very important chapter, questions by the sages, and then read Prabhupada's purport to one of the verses and then share a few comments. So this is uh, Canto 1, Chapter 1. Question by the sages, text 10. Prayen alpayushap sabya kalav asmin yuge janaha manda sumanda matayo manda bhagya yupadrutaha O learned one, in this iron age of Kali, men have but short lives. They are quarrelsome, lazy, misguided, unlucky, and above all, always disturbed. <clears throat> I'll come back to that purport, but text 14. Living beings who are entangled in the complicated meshes of birth and death can be freed immediately, even by unconsciously chanting the holy name of Krishna, which is feared by fear personified. And Prabhupada's purport to text number 10. <clears throat> The devotees of the Lord are always anxious for the spiritual improvement of the general public. Again, devotees of the Lord are always anxious for the spiritual improvement of the general public. When the sages of Naima Sharanya analyzed the state of affairs of the people in the sage of Kali, they foresaw that men would live short lives. In Kali Yuga, the duration of life is shortened not so much because of insufficient food, but because of irregular habits. By keeping regular habits and eating simple food, any person can maintain their health. Overeating, over sense gratification, over dependence on another's mercy, and artificial standards of living sap the very vitality of human energy. Therefore, the duration of life is shortened. The people of this age are also very lazy, not only materially, but in the matter of self realization. The human life is especially meant for self realization. That is to say, people should come to know who we are, what the world is, and what the supreme truth is. Human life is a means by which the living entity can end all miseries of the hard struggle for life in material existence, and by which one can return to Godhead, our eternal home. But due to a bad system of education, people have no desire for self-realization. Even if they come to know about it, they unfortunately become victims of misguided teachers. In this age, people are victims not only of different political creeds and parties, but also of many different types of sense gratificatory diversions, such as cinemas, sports, gambling, clubs, mundane libraries, bad associations, smoking, drinking, cheating, pilfering, bickerings, and so on. 
Their minds are always disturbed and full of anxieties due to so many different engagements. In this age, many unscrupulous people manufacture their own religious faiths, which are not based on any revealed scripture, and very often people who are addicted to sense gratification are attracted to such institutions. Consequently, in the name of religion, so many sinful acts are being carried out that the people in general have neither peace of mind nor health of body. In the Kali Yuga, the whole atmosphere is surcharged with faithlessness. People are no longer interested in spiritual values. Material sense gratification is now the standard of civilization. For the maintenance of such material civilizations, people have formed complex nations and communities, and there's a constant strain of hot and cold wars between these different groups. It has become very difficult, therefore, to raise the spiritual standard due to the present distorted values of human society. The sages of Naimasharanya are anxious <coughs> to disentangle <coughs> excuse me, to disentangle all fallen souls, and here they are seeking the remedy from Srila Sutta Goswami. I'm going to repeat this next verse when he begins to give some solutions. Living beings when they give solutions in the questioning. Living beings who are entangled in the complicated meshes of birth and death can be freed immediately, even by unconsciously chanting the holy name of Krishna, which is feared by fear personified. Omaganatam yandasha janan anjana shalakaya chakshur ulminitam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha shri taitanimano bishtam stapitam yena bhutale svayam rupakadamayam tadati svapanantikam Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunichananda Shri Advaita Gadardhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivinanda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare <coughs> So Thursday was the appearance day of Lord Chaitanya, so just a few days ago. <coughs> yes, Haribo. <laughs> so appropriate that we still take a little time to discuss this important personality. Scholars or historians will describe Sri Chaitanya as a 16th century Bengali saint, known particularly for his teachings and his personal manifestations of bhakti or devotional ecstasies. Uh, within our tradition, we understand that he is actually Yuga Avatar, he's Krishna himself, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who came into this world to uh, teach spiritual knowledge. So in this text is kind of describing why it's important that Lord Chaitanya came. <clears throat> Generally, you know, there's a sense people, we, we kind of pride ourselves that things are getting better. You know, and in some ways, technological improvements are there. Many countries of the world, the economic situation, gross national product has increased, etc., so in some ways, you know, primarily economically, sometimes socially, some there's, there's groups of people certainly who were you know, horribly exploited in the past, and much of that's been addressed. But at the same time, in a broader sense, in terms of understanding what's the goal of human life, the Bhagavatam, as we read here, is, is kind of, uh, uh, like they say, tells it as it is. There, it's a little, because um, they're, they're talking about us. <laughs> There's a tendency to think you're talking about those guys. But, you know, we should think they're talking about me. And, and you know, what's the description? Um, and now remember, of course, we know we're spiritual beings. 
this is describing our temporary false conception of who we are, but in essence, it's saying we have short lives, which we do compared to the past, maybe not the last 200 to two centuries, but according to scriptures, many scriptures of the world, people live much, much longer in the past. So short lives, people are quarrelsome. Just <clears throat> drive on 495 and watch how quarrelsome people can be. You know, often waving partial hand waves, certain fingers and things like that to their neighbors who they, you didn't even realize they knew you so well and they wave at you so, such, such an emphatically friendly way sometimes. You know, lazy, misguided, unlucky, and above all, always disturbed. And certainly the disturbing factor, um, whatever, you want to talk about tweeting people at 4 o'clock in the morning as a symptom of how disturbed people are in the world today. We'll just let that one go. But, you know, it's the nature. People are very disturbed in this, in this time. So this text is describing the Kali Yuga, and particularly the Vedas describe that there's four basic ages, the same way many parts of the world go through these primary climactic changes, spring, summer, fall, winter, and this is described as winter. <clears throat> I was in India, so I kind of avoided winter this year. But I was watching a little bit online, and I'd look one day, and it would say it's the, the coldest day on record or something. It'd be like whatever, zero. And then I look, and the next day it was 65. And I was thinking, boy, this is kind of crazy. So, so winter this year was maybe even a little stranger than, than most. But it's described as a difficult age in general. You know, the, the generally, even just look at the basic climactic things. The warm weather that we all need to thrive on comes not in the winter. The food comes not in the winter. The harshness of the seasons. You know, winter is very tough. We kind of don't notice it so much these days because we have our heated houses and cars and all that. But if you go back just a little bit, winter meant if you didn't have enough food stored, you're in trouble. And if the weather got too bad and the big wind came, like a lot of you lost power, just imagine we, an undimensioned part of the... Tulsi greenhouse blowing over. Just imagine the weather's so bad your house is blown over. And you know, people would oftentimes, a lot of people die in the winter, their bodies just, it's a difficult time. So this age is compared to that, just to kind of help us realize, wow, this is not a great time. Um, and, the, and, the, and the Vedic literatures are coming from this assumption, etato brahma jignasha, now having acquired the human form of life, it's time to inquire into the absolute truth. So when they talk about it not being a very good time, it's not necessarily talking about, you know, whether you can win the lotto and, you know, what, whether the unemployment is, you know, 3.2% or 4.9%. They're not talking about it. They're talking about how is it in terms of self-realization and how conducive is it for people to use their time to understand the more important questions in life, which is according to the great spiritual wisdom traditions of the world, how did I get here in the first place? You know, where have I come from? And how come everybody around me is, like I was someplace recently, I, w I was noting, I said, you know, I, I come to this community every couple of years, and it, it's amazing now, <clears throat> everybody here keeps getting younger. Because I keep getting older, and they just keep looking younger. So why? You know, why, why is it? It's described, you know, none of us really wants to get old. I mean, maybe when you're 15, you want to get older, right? You want to drive, right? And sometimes some cultures, when you're 20, you know, you want to get 21 and certain <coughs> advantages or disadvantages of being 21. Um, but nobody really wants to get old. So these things are forced upon us, really. And the Vedas, therefore, describe it's time to inquire about how I got here in the first place. 
What's the, why is there suffering? You know, is, did I come from somewhere before? Am I going to go someplace in the future? Why is it I have so many hopes and so many of them, they're kind of dashed against the stone? Why is it that so many things I work hard for in life to try to achieve, once I get them, I realize, you know, it's not really so great after all. Um, I was in Harrisburg the other day, I was mentioning that, you know, if you think about the big advertising industry around us, when's the last time you saw an advertisement for bread? Anybody remember seeing advertising for bread? Once one person a long time ago. But why don't you, why don't you see it advertising for bread? Because you need it, right? You don't need to advertise to tell people to buy bread because everybody knows they need to buy bread. You advertise all the stuff we don't need, right? Because if you see it often enough, you start thinking, you know, I think I need me one of those, isn't it? You know, et cetera. <clears throat> so a difficult time, and, and, and the Shastra, the wisdom tradition that we, we study, it explains that there's, by the arrangement of the Supreme Personality, by Krishna, by the divinity. In every age, as the seasons change, the recommended process for spiritual awakening changes. And in this age, because it's described as the winter time, it's a more difficult time, but the process is given as it becomes easier. And if we think about it in terms of, Ananda and I were talking, okay, with a little name for this talk, so I was thinking, the, the miracles of Mahaprabhu. So we'll, we'll see in a couple of minutes about the role he plays. So the Shasta describes Harinam, 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 Eva Kevalam, Kalo, Nasteva, 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 Gaturanyata. In this age of quarrel, it says quite emphatically, there's no other way, there's no other way, there's no other way to attain spiritual awakening other than chanting the holy name of the Lord, chanting the holy name of the Lord, chanting the holy name of the Lord. So this is mentioned here in the Bhagavatam. That doesn't mean that other processes have no effect but it's describing then in terms of actually going as deep as possible and awakening our spiritual realization, our love of God. The chanting Krishna's name is the special process, or chanting God's name is a special process given in this age because it's so powerful it can help us overcome all the difficulties. So that's, that's the, the understanding <coughs> of, of this process of chanting in kirtan. And as is described in a couple of verses right in the same section, that there's actually millions of names of, of, of Krishna or of God. You know, we know like in, in the Vedic or the Hindu tradition, sometimes they chant the thousand names of Vishnu, or we, we may have so many kirtans. And we have <clears throat> some of the teachers in our movement, uh, they have many disciples, and they've kind of gone around, like they went through all the Krishna dasas and the Arjuna das, and then they have Krishna Arjuna das and Arjuna Krishna das, and, and now some of them run the Krishna Arjuna Krishna das, and because we may not have knowledge of the millions of names of God, but there's a described that there's millions. And not just our tradition talks about it. It's talked about another Buddhist tradition, talks about it. Lord Jesus Christ talked about, uh, called those who call upon my name. He said, I would deliver them. And, and the Buddhist teachings, the similar thing is there. Our Muslim friends, they're chanting the 99 names of Allah. So the Shastra explains that because it's this difficult winter time, Krishna makes it very easy by helping us chant, but still people aren't so inclined. Sometimes we go out and we do chanting parties and we go out in public, Silver Spring or downtown or on the mall or something like that. And some people really appreciate it and other people, they just kind of see it's a disturbance because I got more important things to do. So devotees of Krishna are there saying like, hey, <clears throat> where'd you come from? Where are you going? Why do you have to die? And some people are thinking, I got much more important things to deal with. 
Whereas a thoughtful person is thinking like, well, actually, isn't that the most important thing that you have to think about? So people in general, they're not so inclined. As it described here, people are misguided and unlucky. So therefore, Krishna not only gives the easiest process, but he actually comes to teach it. And that's the role of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, <clears throat> that, he actually, that he actually comes personally. So in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the scripture, it explains, Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita, he says that I'm, I'm the source of everything, I'm the father of everyone, I'm the mother of everyone. And then he explains also that he's the best friend of everyone, which is quite a strong statement to make. I mean, if you go to buy a car and the guy tells you, you know, I'm your best friend, you're in trouble, isn't it? You know, and I remember as like a student, if you know, your first day of class and you go in and you, you know, one of your teachers tells you, you know, I'm your best friend. You're thinking, I better be really careful in this class because I, I don't know where they're coming from, right? <clears throat> or worse yet, someone who's going to talk to you about some investment plan they have. And that's when the alarms really have to go off, you know? So, but Krishna makes that claim. He says he's our best friend. So in one sense, that's a different conversation, how we, how we, we should test that. <clears throat> but he makes that statement, and just like we know, all of us go through difficulties in life, and when you do, if you've got a friend or a best friend, it makes it, you can get through it a lot better, isn't it? You, you need like one or two of those people you can just call up and say, hey, things aren't going very well, and maybe, even I, maybe I, I need a little help. A lot of times there's not a lot of people we can say that to, because frankly, sometimes you say that to people and they're going to do what? They take advantage, use it against you, isn't it? You reveal to somebody in the office, I'm really struggling with this project. Hey, no problem, I'm going to tell the boss right now. <laughs> like, well, thank you very much, you know. So that's not your best friend. So Krishna says he's our best friend. And we know when we, when we, <clears throat> when we really have difficulty, we need a friend. So according to the Vaishnava especially Gaudiya Vaishnavacharyas and the Srimad Bhagavatam and, and so many great saintly persons, Lord Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this personality that came in the 16th century, appeared in India and, and particularly taught this, this chanting, he is actually our best friend. And sometimes in life we've been mistreated or abused or let down by a friend or a lot of friends and what happens when that happens? What happens to our heart, generally? It becomes a little harder, doesn't it? It becomes a little less trusting, and it becomes a little cynical. And sometimes people become so cynical that they don't really believe there's anybody that really cares about them. Life just becomes all about business. You know, the relationship in the family comes is about business. The relationship at work, it's about business. The relationship with the neighbors is about business. It's all about, I'll help you as long as you help me. But in the Gita, Krishna says, no, that's not my position. My position is I'm in your heart, and I'm constantly wanting to help you, and I am trying to help you, and I'm waiting for the opportunity to help you as soon as you turn your attention to me. And I never abandon you. That's the claim that's made. You know, there's some religious traditions have different ideas. Some say when you, you know, when you die, that's it. Some say when you die, depending on what you do, you know, maybe you get some blessings and maybe you get punished forever. Remember, I went to a church camp for many years, and that part of it always I had a tough time with. <coughs> it's like, okay, so God loves me up to a certain point. And they were like, yeah. I was like, okay, that's kind of scary. 
Because I, I screw up a lot of things. And how, how responsibly is he going to hold me? So the Vedic tradition, the Vaishnava tradition is different. It explains that actually there's a supreme personality who's not just the supreme personality. Sometimes you see little religious tracts. He'll have a drawing of God. See, I'm sitting on a big chair without a face. Remember seeing a few of these a couple years ago? And there's like little people walking by, like, like little ants. And God's saying, heaven, hell. Heaven is a big guy in a chair. And it's like, wow, that's scary. Which causes a lot of people to think, as they say these days, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. If that's what religion is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And maybe a lot of us here in the room went through a certain you know, phase like that, that I don't want anything to do with it. That's what it's all about. Who wants to have anything to do with that? But Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, <laughs> the teachings about him explaining something very, very different. And in the Krishna book, understanding that Chaitanya is Krishna who came in this time. In the Krishna book, Prabhupada explains in his commentary that of all the qualities of God, there's one that's the most important. Remember which one it is? He says his mercy or his forgiveness is his most important quality. And that made me feel a lot better. That's like a little more attractive than, you know, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell. That's his most important quality. So symptomatic of this is that Krishna comes in this dark, wintry age of Kali specifically to teach people a very, very, very easy process of spiritual awakening, which is just chanting his names. And it's described many places. There's no prerequisites. There's no, uh, there's no other requirements other than just chanting his name. And along with that, some, some purification of the heart comes. And Lord Chaitanya specifically taught, he said, there's no hard or fast rules. And he's famous for many things, including that he didn't just say this spiritual practice is for a certain type of people. It's not just for whatever, people born in India or, you know, wealthy white men or colonialists or white people, black people, green, purple, yellow, red, rich, famous, poor, not poor, educated. He said there's no barrier. In fact, it's, it's stated historically that there was some resistance to his teaching. His whole principle was based on this available for everybody. He said he brought it out into the streets. And in that time, a lot of the religious practice, you had to go to the temple. And a lot of times, you couldn't get in the temple. Only certain class of people could get in the temple. Only certain class of people were respected. And there's still some remnants of that today in India that some of us here in the room couldn't get in there. You know, if your skin's too white, there's certain temples, not a lot, but there's, you can't get in. But Lord Chaitanya actually said, no, we're going to go out into the streets and make this available to everybody, educated, uneducated, high class, low class, Hindu, Muslim, doesn't matter. No difference whatsoever. So, and then he traveled all over India to teach this same principle. And when some of the, the people who were socially entrenched, similar parallels to the history of, of Jesus, you know, when Jesus was preaching, he had a similar message and people in power were threatened by that. You know, you're, you're, you're taking away our power. People have to come to us. We're the priests. And if you just say that anybody can develop their love of God and they don't have to go through us, wow, you're threatening our economic base, our social status, etc. So Lord Chaitanya had a similar response from some of the people in power who went to the government and said, you need to shut this down. This man's a threat to us. So there were attempts to do that. And that's when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu led what, what many have described as, as the first 
nonviolent civil disobedience movement in history. And he gathered his followers together and he went to the went to the local magistrate, the local leader, with all of his soldiers that the leader had, the government person had, and said, Hey, this is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to facilitate spiritual, uh, people's spiritual life. Don't don't try to stop this. So that was the mood of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He he then traveled all over India. He sent his disciples further all over India, all the way up until today, 500 years later. We have the example of our, our founder, Charashita Prabhupada, who at the age of 70 crossed the ocean and it was so much personal difficulty, but just for this purpose of trying to give people the opportunity to awaken their spiritual life. So in this way, it actually is, if we study Lord Chaitanya, it is quite miraculous. And when we think about it in the, the Vedic literatures, it describes it, it's a little harsh for those of us from a Western background, but it says, human life begins when you begin following the principles, no illicit sex, no meat eating, no gambling, no intoxication. The Shastra says that's where human life starts. It's like, whoa, that's a little harsh. That's what the scripture says. But Mahaprabhu's movement's based on, doesn't matter who you are, what you are, just accept chanting. I remember when I was a college student and first met the devotees and, and, they, and they, I was asking about bhakti, and they said, well, you know, there's four principles. No meat eating, no illicit sex life, no gambling, and no, no toxication. I was a college student. I looked at him and said, well, what do you do? If you don't do those things, what do you do? But still, they didn't throw me out. They said, here, come and chant. Take advantage of this. So this is the mood of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, those of us that don't know much about Lord Chaitanya, I would encourage everybody just... Not much time to get into a lot of details of, of his life and of his teachings, but look into this personality a little bit, study a little bit more. We have many, many books about the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Understand a little bit more about him and see the fresh perspective he, be, he, he brings because there's so much cynicism in the world today. There's so much lack of hope. There's so much faithlessness. There's so much of an energy that it's all about, you know, life is tough. There's no explanation for it. You know, the, the tensions between political parties and different cultures and even around the world, like religious freedom, it's, 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 there's a, a very big kind of global rollback of, of, of spiritual freedom in a lot of the major countries of the world. It's, it's, it's coming up again in China. It's definitely coming up again in Russia. So many different places like that where the whole opportunity of human life to inquire about God, it's, it's actually being shut down more and more systematically. It's, hap it's happened in the past as well, but it's coming up again. Lord Chaitanya's movement and his teaching, is, it's, a, it's a deep philosophy, and we, we should think about it and not be unconscious of what's going on in the world, but look at what our options are. You know, the, Look at the options that we're offered to by a pretty materialistic society around ourselves. And compare that to the options that Lord Chaitanya is, is giving us, <clears throat> that actually what lies beyond this temporary life of a hard struggle for existence is the fact that we are eternal spiritual beings. We don't die when this body dies. <clears throat> we're not limited by our present capacity, whether we're, again, rich or poor or highly educated or not so much. That's just a temporary thing we're going through. We are passing through this world. But in this lifetime, even though it's so difficult by the mercy of, uh, of the supreme 
personality, by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, he's given us this like amazing process by which we just need to hear and chant spiritual sound vibration. And that actually can awaken within our hearts a realization, not just a theory, but a realization of who we are. And actually become free from the anger and the anxiety and the enmity that, that's so much dominating in the world. So those of us that don't know much about Lord Chaitanya, please look a little more deeply. And I would say just for those of us that are followers or admirers of Lord Chaitanya, that we should also take this anniversary of his appearance as an impetus to go a little deeper in our own spiritual practice. And I'll highlight just two things in that mood. The first one is we should, we should want to, we should pray to, we should aspire to enter into Lord Chaitanya's mood. Because his mood is that of the supreme divinity who has unlimited love and affection and concern for every single living being, unlimitedly. Whether they remembering him, whether they curse him, whether they ignore him, that unlimited affection. And we actually have an opportunity to also enter into that mood. And as we're studying and learning more and more about the nature of spiritual relationships, it's based on the more you give, the more you get. In this world, it's always a calculation. You know, well, I'll give you something, but what am I to get in exchange? Right? So many free offers, right? <laughs> so many free offers that are not free. So let us enter more deeply into that mood of really genuinely wanting to share it with others, moment to moment, day to day, and not just thinking, okay, going to the temple means Sunday, but how do I live it during the week? How do I treat my co-workers in a way that's inspired by the way Krishna and Lord Chaitanya see the world? How do I interact with my kids based on the way Lord Krishna is advising us to see everyone as spiritual beings? How do I change the nature of my thought process where it's not lined up in things of turn of this is my friend, this is my enemy, this is valuable, this is invaluable. It actually transforming our consciousness to see, hey, I'm just floating through here. I might be here another 50 years, I might be here a few more minutes, but I can change my consciousness and actually become a force of helping to transform the world. That's what Lord Chaitanya wants, that's what he asks of all of his followers. So those of us that see ourselves in that way, we should try to do that. And then a second, just second and final thought on taking up this, the path of Lord Titania. <clears throat> he very much taught, in order to do so, again, reflecting what Krishna said in the Gita, we have to become humble. We actually have to, not as sometimes the tendency is there, even among spiritually minded people, that uh, if I get a little bit of spiritual knowledge, if I get a little bit of sense of that, that somebody is looking out for me and there is some higher purpose, that I thereby become proud and think I'm better than other people. That feeling is destroying the world. The world is full of different people on different spiritual and religious paths that are so, they're this far down the path and they're, instead of becoming more humble, they become more proud. And then they become, instead of lovers of people, they become haters of people. So we have to be very careful. We can't think, oh, you know, I've got some tilak, little clay in my forehead. Or Prabhupada says, those just have taken some vows. Now I have a two paisa thread around my neck. Now I'm special. That, 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 that destroys everything. Or that, you know, I come to the temple so I'm special. Or I'm, you know, I'm initiated. Now I'm special. I'm a GBC. Now I'm special. I'm the board of directors. I'm special. I'm a Prabhupada disciple. I'm special. What we should think is, I'm getting something special. I've been given something special. 
And if I want to keep it, if I want to expand it, I got to help other people because they're actually definitely more special than I am. As Prabhupada said sometimes when he was dealing with different situations with disciples, he said, we should understand there's no big devotees in my movement. He says, there's only little devotees. And if everybody in the world was had in this mood of like, actually, as, as, as Krishna taught the Lord Chaitanya, I'm everybody's servant. And what does that mean to, to be everybody's servant? That means you want to help other people. It's not about me trying to get a p bigger piece of the pie for myself. It's about how can I help other people become happy. And the amazing, wonderful, transcendental reality that we're painted this picture, this ideal, this, this theory, if you will, in the Vaishnava teachings, it's like, wow, is it possible that actually people can live like that? Is it actually possible there's, an, there's a beautiful person behind everything whose only desire for me is to enter into a relationship with him and an eternal loving pastimes? It's like, whoa, that's better than any fairy tale my mom and dad ever read to me. But is it a fairy tale? Is it a reality? And if we can actually pursue that, what a valuable thing to achieve. And that's what, that's what Lord Chaitanya came to teach us. These things aren't just, they're not just theories, they're not just dreams, they are actually the eternal reality of the soul. And by taking up the process Lord Chaitanya give us, gave us of chanting in a humble mood and a mood of actually wanting to share that with others, we, that becomes our reality. The reality doesn't become the pain in my knee or my stomach or my worries about my finances or about the fact my boss is a jerk or, you know, somebody else in my college class is trying to get all the credit for our team project. Those things become so, they're still there, but they become so unimportant because we just have something so much more wonderful. And as to describe, Prabhupada said, become Krishna conscious, enjoy life with a thrill at every moment. That was his, that was his request to us. So, I'll stop there. We've got about maybe 12, 15 minutes if there's some questions or comments anybody would like to make. Uh, I believe our practice is called a Vaishnavism. Did, did um, <clears throat> Lord Chaitanya codify that or was that after his life? <clears throat> he, it's, it's good question. He had a huge range of teachings, very elaborate philosophical system. He himself didn't write a lot of things down. But there was the next generation, particularly what are called the six Goswamis and other uh, of his followers, did so. So there's a huge body of literature and very, very elaborate philosophical system is given. So it's not just sentiment, just, okay, chant and love God. There's a very profound philosophical system that's there that he taught, but he didn't particularly write it down. Okay, but, but great amounts of it are, are preserved. Okay. Do you think Lord Chaitanya will ever become more popular than Krishna in some more manner? More popular than Krishna. Because I'm thinking, you know, the, the, ability, the ability to surrender is so difficult, but the ability to receive mercy is effortless. So I'm wondering in this time of Kali if we should be maybe emphasizing the teachings of Lord Chaitanya and the way he expressed himself. They're non-different personalities. Yes. So more people are aware of Krishna. So sometimes that's a place to begin <clears throat> with a lot of people. Uh, and then we can explain how Krishna came in the age of Kali Yuga as Lord Chaitanya. Um, but to say, you know, more or, or th th that's a little too esoteric for me. 
um, and not to minimize your question, it's a sincere question, but I, I, I think that um, we have to help people understand both. And when you understand Krishna, in this time, then you have to understand Lord Chaitanya. And if you understand Lord Chaitanya, you can't do that without understanding Lord Krishna. So both have to be there, but we want more people to be aware of Lord Chaitanya because he's not so well known Thank you. now, Thank but you. becoming more so. Thank you. Hare Krishna, thank you for a very nice class. <clears throat> the Mahavadanyaya, Lord Chaitanya, brought the holy name, and you read that nice verse, the second verse, about how the uh, one who chants unconsciously gets freedom from, I believe you, uh, the verse says, material misery. So uh, can you please uh, expand the parampara understanding of that well, just exp the actual verse is, living beings who are entangled in the complicated meshes of birth and death can be freed immediately by even unconsciously chanting the holy name of the Lord, which is feared by fear personified. So it, that's a little deep. It, it, the, the idea is, as I best understand it, that the power of the Lord's name is so much so that if one chants without offense, that's a different discussion about the offenses, but if one chants the Lord's name without offense, that in itself can actually awaken us to love of God. But as Prabhupada writes in the purport later, in the section that teaches the Queen Kunti, there's a quality about that chanting that has to be there too. And that quality is one has to be able to call out to Krishna in a mood of utter dependence, free from materialistic, you know, false identifications, pride, first and foremost. But the power is there. Power is there. Okay. Uh, ladies? Yeah, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, like, uh, when you, when I, uh, actually I entered very late in the conversation, so I don't know what was the topic, but when I entered, so you were dealing with the things uh, which really, you know, uh, bothers me sometimes. It's like uh, you are like I am a neophyte devotee, so I don't know uh, these uh, uh, things like wearing tila, kanti mala, and all these things, and getting up early in the morning. So, do they come naturally to you, or mm -hmm. you have to practice towards these things? I mean, if you don't have that, you know, sincerity to towards the, these things, and I, if I do it, then I'm not doing it wholeheartedly. So, is it? Is it like I have to practice these things or? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, a lot of th things could be said and answered that. <coughs> one thing is on the one side, Prabhupada's explained for every one step we take towards Krishna, he takes 10 towards us. So part of it is like from the bigger picture, you know, the big picture, I'm a spirit soul. I was with Krishna. Because I have independence at some point in time for reasons that, you know, I misused my independence. And I say, okay, can I go someplace where maybe you're not the center of everything? You know, the Bible has a similar story. The prodigal son, he was in the, his father's home and he decided he wasn't happy. So he left there for a long time. And then he realized, hey, I'd be happier as a servant in my father's home than here. So-called independent. So similarly, much more developed philosophically understood in the Vaishnava tradition. We chose to leave Krishna, but he's still here around us. Describe God's actually fully present in every atom. But he's not manifesting. He's not showing himself because we chose to live separately. We don't want to see him. I'd rather like kind of be God myself. And I don't want to have another person who's the supreme enjoyer who I'm supposed to surrender to. That sounds a little scary. 
Because we've forgotten about that. The ecstasy the soul experiences in that loving relationship. So your question is kind of the bigger question. Do I need to demonstrate to Krishna that I'm serious? Absolutely. Do I need to try to mold my life in such a way that he, you know, that I'm demonstrating him that he's more important than anything else? Absolutely. Does it have to be done like this? Does it have to be done by that? No. Okay. Certain things to say someone's a brahmanchari lives in the temple. You know, for them, if they're not there by 4.30 in the morning, they're, they're not really showing Krishna they're serious. Somebody's living outside, has got a family and a job and so many obligations, they have to adjust things differently. So ultimately, Krishna's interested in what's going on in our heart. But the external practices, they help strengthen that and help cleanse and purify our heart. So in terms of practical explanation or answer to your question, we should look for all those different aspects that we can accept in the, in the sadhana, in the spiritual practice, and, and take those up. And as we do so, also along with that, it becomes easier to do, and we develop, it becomes a pleasurable thing to do. Like, I, I personally like to wear dhotis almost everywhere I go. I just, I like it, even though they're a total pain in the neck to tie. And they really don't work when there's 40-mile-an-hour winds out there. That's, that's a problem, you know, especially when you're crossing the road. It's not, doesn't work. But for me, it's like it's a commitment. It's like I think this helps my spiritual, it helps me remind me who I am. You know, and when people walk down the street and look, and maybe, maybe some of them think, oh, there goes a Hare Krishna, so at least I've helped somebody remember Krishna in some way. So, you know, that I can do. There may be other things I can't do. So it, it's not, we shouldn't try to push ourselves to the point it's uncomfortable or it's, 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 it's you know, painful. You know, we're not putting bamboo shoots under our fingernails to help us get detached from the body. You know, we're eating wonderfully sanctified vegetarian foods and chanting Hare Krishna and hanging out with a lot of nice people. That's our austerities. But we should try to look to see, well, what, what can I do? What, what's the next step for me? I want to show Krishna I'm serious about this. From everything I'm learning, is there something else I can do? Maybe I can't wear tilak every day. Or I'm not comfortable, but can I read a verse every day? Okay, maybe I don't wear, wear a dhoti, but can I wear a tilak? Maybe I don't want to, um, whatever. But wh what can I do? And, be, and, and this is where understanding Krishna is our best friend comes into play. Because if he is our best friend, you just make the slightest endeavor. He's so happy to see that. He's so grateful. He'll reciprocate with us. So do something, whatever the next step is. Is that okay? And you decide what that is. That's between you and Krishna. And nobody can judge you on that. But just keep going. Okay? Thank you. Yes, what's the difference between religion and spirituality? Oh, that's such kind of like there's different connotations. I mean, these days it's kind of a, a popular mantra. People say, I'm spiritual but not religious. I think it largely comes from a reaction to the abuses of organized religion. You know, people grow up with whatever, you know, ministers, priests, pujaris who aren't very... Uh, friendly to them. I, I tell. I was at a Krishna community not too long ago, and somebody was telling me about they had a friend that came to the temple and brought their eight-year-old child, and the teacher at the Hare Krishna Iskon temple was telling him, "You have to learn a shloka. You have to recite it in front of everybody." And this child was saying, "No, I don't want to do." It. They said, "No, you have to. You have to. You have to." And they told me now that the parents won't come to the temple because their child just that small thing. But big thing, the child has such a bad experience, they don't want to come. The parents are like, what do I do? We're like, well, you know, find a place that has a better Sunday school teacher, for starters. 
So if people associate that kind of insensitive, sometimes abusive, sometimes exploitative behavior, manipulation, harshness, then they reject that. A lot of people have rejected that. But then they're, because the soul is hankering for some experience of, of something transcendental, something divine, then I want to be spiritual. I want the experience. I want, I want, I want the insight. I want the knowledge. I want to, to have my relationships with other people become spiritualized, to get out of the mundane. But I don't want all this ritual stuff. So, so as Vaishnavas, we would say that, that religion should enhance our spirituality and spirituality should be based on you know, religious practices. But if, if, if they, it becomes entrenched in material formulas, then it becomes counterproductive. So that would be my take on it, why people differentiate. For us, I don't think we would ultimately differentiate. Because if you're really spiritual, Religion in the original sense of the meaning, if you go Latin and all that, it means to follow, the, I'm not sure, but I believe it means like to follow the, the laws of God or to follow the spiritual path, something to that effect. So, yeah, that's great. But when you get all these obstacles in the way, then, you know, forget it. Like I mentioned, I went to this church camp, and I, I quit going to church, and they fired me because I couldn't deal with the mood there. I have wonderful Christian friends. I do a lot of Christian dialogue. It's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. But when people abuse it, it's harmful. And therefore, we have to make sure, too. I mean, if anybody here, you know, if you're a Sunday school teacher or any way we interact with people, we have to realize everything we do is either helping people come a little closer to Krishna or blocking them. We have to be very, very, very careful. It's an important, very big responsibility.